So, personal problems, addictions. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. And God willing, I think there another four weeks to come on the issue of, a, uh, of a personal problems. Next week, if the Lord wills, I'll be preaching on schizophrenia and personality disorders. But for tonight, uh, Titus 2, 11 to 14, addictions. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we draw near again. To you, the Most High, the Lord of glory, God of heaven and earth, creator of all things, visible and invisible. And we pray that you would now give us understanding. Give us an understanding heart and mind to receive the truth of your holy word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, as you know, <clears throat> the world sees addictions and would describe addictions as an illness or as a genetic defect, a genetic problem. And there is absolutely zero proof, scientific proof, observable proof to show that addictions is an illness or a genetic problem. If addictions, if addiction is a sickness or a genetic problem, then the addict is not responsible then it's not his fault. Then you might as well say, like a certain biblical counselor's friend told him, I'm so angry at God for making me this way, for being addicted to alcohol. Because I was born this way, it's a genetic defect, and I cannot help my enslavement. Where the Bible tells you God tempts no one, and neither is he tempted by evil. Addictions, to take it a step further for you, some people would say it's a, it's a bloodline curse. It's a generational curse. For instance, your grandfather was an alcoholic. That means your dad will be an alcoholic. That means you will be an alcoholic. That means your child will be an alcoholic. But Ezekiel 18 tells us in verse 2, you, we will no longer say that we've eaten sour grapes or our fathers ate sour grapes and now our teeth are set on edge. Our teeth have, teeth have become blunt. It says in Ezekiel 18 verse 20 that children will not be punished for the sins of their parents, or parents for the sins of their children. Now, I know there's a verse in Exodus that says to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but underline those who hate me. In other words, the children do exactly the same sin as the parents, it's, and if they repented of their sin, there would be no punishment for their sin. If you wish, you can go and read my sermon on generational curses, where I take every possible verse I could find in the Bible and explain that on the issue. As long as you excuse your addiction, as long as you blame your grandfather for your addiction, as long as you say it's a sickness, I can't help it, as long as you say it's a genetic problem, I can't help it, this, then you're hopeless. There can be no solution, as Yusha just told us. There can be no solution as long as you blame shift and excuse your sin and blame the devil, blame the snake like Eve did, or blame God, why did God do this to me, and so on. The only way there can be hope for overcoming addictions is you must own up. You must take responsibility and say that this is my sin. 
this is my own problem. This is my own enslavement. You must repent. You must cry out to God like Yeshua did and say, Lord, I cannot do this. I cannot overcome this. Please have mercy on me. And as soon as you turn to Christ through, by repentance and faith, there can be forgiveness and restoration and breaking the bondage. Take responsibility. Now, Titus 2 is our text, and Titus 2 shows us the solution to overcoming addictions is not 12 steps. The solution to overcoming addiction is not tablets. It's not taking medication. It's not going to a professional who can now break the generational curse or to a Sangoma or to whoever else. The solution is Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to talk on pornography this evening. You can just apply these principles because I did two sermons on, on pornography last year. I'm not going to talk about addiction to food or anorexia or bulimia. I'm going to do a whole sermon on that in weeks to come. Uh, so you can apply these principles to pornography and food and to addiction to cell phones and addiction to the internet and addiction to social media and addiction to whatever, drugs, alcohol, tobacco, name it. Um, but let's read our text. Titus 2 verse 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We're going to look at three words from this passage. The first word is salvation. That's verse 11 and verse 14. Now I know a pastor and you know that, that pastor too. Some of you know him. I know a pastor who was addicted to drugs. Before he got saved, he was a student in the university. He actually started using drugs when I think he was about 15 years old. He told me when he was at the university studying, he was permanently high. And he wasn't exaggerating. He was never in a state where he wasn't high. Smoking marijuana and doing other drugs. I don't know what other drugs exactly, but I remember him telling me he was smoking marijuana all the time. And he said one day... He was under such conviction of sin and he, and he just realized his lostness and how hopeless he was. And he went to his brother who was a Christian and his brother was praying for him. And he said to his brother, please, will you pray for me that God will save me and God will forgive my sins? And he said, God answered that prayer. God saved him. And it took some time to get the drugs out of his system. But God saved him and changed him. And he never returned to the drugs. And he is a passionate missionary today. And a passionate preacher of the gospel. Now, verse 11 tells you that can happen to you and I too. That can happen to any addict listening to the sermon, watching the sermon, or perhaps sitting here tonight. So verse 11 says, for the grace of God. What is that for? That says... Verse 1 to 10, everything I told you in verse 1 to 10. For instance, in verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Or verse, verse 3, older women likewise, reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves, too much wine. Don't be a drunkard, he's telling you. And so on. You can just go through the passage. Verse 6, likewise I urge the younger men, be self-controlled. You go through all those verses 
Paul is telling you in verse 11, it is possible to live that way. Why? Verse 11, the grace of God has appeared. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is enough to help you overcome addiction. It's enough to break the bonds of sin, enslavement to sin. God's grace, when it says in verse 11, God's grace has appeared, that means grace is not some abstract thing. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor, His goodness, His kindness, and it is in a person. Who is that person? Who is that person? Jesus Christ. So God's grace came to this world in a human being. Well, God who became man. So Jesus Christ is the embodiment of God's grace. All the fullness of God dwells in Christ bodily. Colossians 2 verse 9. Chapter 3. Look at chapter 3 verse 4. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. So God's goodness appears to us in Christ. We see it in the Lord Jesus. And what does He do with this grace? Verse 11. He's brought salvation. It's like in uh, salvation from what? Obviously salvation from sin. From the punishment of sin and from the power of sin. And one day from the presence of sin. When we're with the Lord and we'll sin no more. But in Psalm 107 verse 10 to 16. You read of how, you read of how God's, God's power comes. And these people are in prison and it says God breaks them free. He brings them out of prison and He even breaks not only bars of iron, but bars of copper, of bronze. So the Heere kan grendels van koper stikkend ruk, and He opens the prison doors to set people free from the bondage and enslavement of not only the devil, but of sin. That's, that is Satan's grip that he's got on people, is sin. 1 John 3 verse 8, I quoted it this morning, For this reason the Son of God appeared to break the power of Satan, to break the works of the devil in the lives of men and women, and even of boys and girls, very sadly, addictions. Now, perhaps someone's sitting here, someone's listening to the sermon later on the recording, and you're skeptical. You think, I don't believe that, because I've tried. I've prayed the sinner's prayer. I went to a church meeting. I responded. I went to the front and had them pray for me, and I've been to deliverance ministries, and I've been baptized, but I'm still in the bonds of sin. I'm still addicted. I've got this addiction, whether it be drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever. I want to ask you, are you not perhaps misunderstanding salvation? Do you maybe have a wrong view of salvation? You think salvation is something you do for the Lord. You think this is something I do. I've been baptized. I've taken this step. I've prayed the sinner's prayer. I've gone forward for prayer. I've contacted some kind of deliverance ministry or whatever. And you think God owes you freedom from addictions because you've done something for Him. I've, I've, I've joined a church. I've, I've responded to an altar call. I've done something for the Lord. Now where are my goodies? Where's the response, Lord? Why haven't you delivered me from this, this addiction? Listen, God does not work that way. God's not going to bargain with you. God's not going to say, you've done something for me, now I owe you something. God is not in your debt. He's not in my debt. He's in no one's debt. He owes no man anything. All that God owes us is judgment for our sin. God owes us punishment for our sin. God doesn't work the way He thinks. Salvation is a free gift. By the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is not something God gives you and owes you because you've become religious now. 
Salvation is God saves when He wills, whom He wills, and He works as He pleases. He is the sovereign Lord. He is God who does according to His own will. No man's going to twist the arm of God or blackmail God and say, now you owe me. Salvation is a work where God does a miracle inside a sinner. He saves that sinner who is dead in sin, who's entrapped in sin. He's in the bondage of sin. And Christ breaks him free by his almighty power and by the power of the Spirit. And he makes him a new creation. The old things have passed. Behold, all things have become new. So all you need to do is acknowledge you deserve the judgment of God, the punishment of God for your sin. He owes you nothing. Nothing but judgment and punishment. And you can do nothing to win the favor of God. You are hopeless unless God intervenes. Unless God comes and saves you. You are hopeless even if you have overcome your addiction. Even if you have gone to AA or some rehab center and you've overcome the addiction, you're no longer addicted to that, you are still hopeless if you are not saved. Then it's like I preached this morning. You're a moral person. You're all churchy and religious, but you haven't been born again. You're on your way to hell, a sober person. You need to call out to God, not just to save you from a life of addiction. You need to call out to God and say, Lord, please save me for I have not honored you. I have not lived to the glory of God. I have not lived according to the purpose and for what you created me to be, a, a person who will honor and glorify God my Savior. I no longer want to live for myself. I want to live to please you, Lord. And then God will save you because He promises everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved regardless of who you are. I don't care are you an old person, are you a young person, are you a child, are you rich, are you poor, are you a pastor, are you a spiritual leader somewhere? Maybe you're entrapped in a whole culture of sin where you've got a nation of drunkards or a culture of, culture of drunkenness and addiction. God can save you. That's what we see in verse 1 to 10. Old men, young, uh, old men, older women, younger men, younger women, Titus, you as a spiritual leader, slaves. Chapter 1 verse 12, the Cretans, the whole culture, they were entrapped in sin and Jesus Christ can save because verse 12 says, the grace of God has appeared to bringing salvation for all people. There's salvation for everyone who will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that goes for what you and I would call the great sinners. Because it says in Matthew 21 verse 31, it says that the prostitutes were saved, the tax collectors were saved, a, a, a loose woman, a sexually immoral woman in, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus saved her. A man on his deathbed hanging next to Jesus on a cross who was a thief, a robber, a murderer. Jesus saved him. And even those who cried for the blood of Jesus, who said, crucify him, crucify him. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 of them were saved. And in Acts chapter 3, another, another few thousand, couple of thousand were saved. And Paul the Apostle a murderer of Christians, a persecutor of Christ's people. And Jesus saved him and he says, I'm the chief of sinners and Christ saved me. Verse 12 again, bringing salvation for all people. It's available to all who will repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. So my friend, so my friend, do not despair. 
where you think your sin is great and your sin is so great there's no hope. Oh, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Christ's grace is more than your sin and greater than your sin. Romans 5 verse 20. Will Jesus give himself to forgive your sins? Will Jesus give himself to save you? Verse 14, Christ gave himself. He did not only give his money. He did not merely give his time. He did not merely give some gifts. Christ gave himself. He gave himself to the final drop of blood, to his final breath. Will Jesus do that and then not forgive your sin and withhold forgiveness, withhold eternal life, withhold freedom from addictions? God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not with him freely give us all things? Graciously give us all things. Oh, love this Savior. Love this Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. Verse, verse 14. Tell those, the, the medication. Some people, they're not addicted to street drugs, but they're addicted to prescription medication. And I've known people like that and even counseled people like that. So tell the, tell the medication and tell the drugs and tell the alcohol and tell the pornography and tell whatever other addiction. Tell, you have driven nails through the hands of my Savior, through His hands and His feet. You have pierced His side. You have wounded His head with a crown of thorns. You have withheld the, the worship that belongs to Christ and the love. You have robbed me of a life addiction. You have robbed me of eternal life. You have robbed me of a life of peace and love and joy that can be found in Christ. I am done with you. I am done with you. Please, Lord, please forgive me. Please set me free and please save me so I can be your own and belong to you and give my life and my all to Christ and Christ alone. And Jesus will answer that prayer. He has paid the full price to set you free from the power of sin, from the bondage of sin. He has bought you and purchased you from the power of Satan to bring you back to the Father. Verse 14, He gave Himself for us to redeem us. You know what that word redeem means? It means buying slaves. Someone is enslaved and you buy the slave and you give him his freedom. And now he's a slave of Jesus Christ, no longer of Satan. And you tell those addictions, you addictions, you substances, you are no longer my master. Christ has purchased me. I belong to Jesus. He is my master. Chapter 3, verse 3 to 5. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. <laughs> he did it all by the power of the Spirit, if you read the rest of that verse. Jesus bore the punishment. You and I must get because we broke his law. We are lawbreakers. And Jesus says, I will take the punishment you deserve. I will hang on that cross and become a curse for you. So the, the law, if Jesus saves you from the punishment the law demands, then the law can no longer punish you. 
That's like the law says you must pay 50,000 rand fine. You don't have the money. Someone pays it for you. The law can no longer say, you still owe us. No, I don't. Someone paid it for me. So sin will have no dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. Romans 6 verse 14. There is now, therefore, no long, there is no condemnation, therefore, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1. Jesus sets you free from the enslavement of sin, from the, the chains of sin. Everyone who sins, not only drug addicts and alcoholics, but everyone who sins is a slave of sin. John 8 verse 34. But verse 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Christ comes to give freedom. How does He do that? Well, the Holy Spirit gives you a new nature. He makes you a new person from the inside. And He writes the law upon your heart. He removes that hardened heart of stone. He gives you a tender heart that will love Christ and obey Him. A heart of flesh. And now... Previously, you had no desire to obey. You had a desire for your addiction. You had a desire for your own pleasures. You wanted to break the law, but now you no longer have that desire. You have new desires. You want to please God. You want to obey God. And you are able to do so because the Spirit lives in you and empowers you. Verse 14. Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. You're no longer lawless. So the Spirit brings you in line. It says, right, I'm in you and I work in you. Come on, come along, come along. Here's my word. Obey, obey. I'll give you the power. I'll give you the, the ability. I'll make you willing. So no longer do you live impure. No longer do you live in secret and in darkness because that's the world of addictions. I, I mustn't be caught. I must hide the, the brandy or the, I must hide the whiskey in the toilet cistern. And I must hide it here and hide it there and I must hide the drugs here and, and, and the needles and the whatever powder or the joint, dacha, which is legal. I don't care if it's legal, it's sin. Abortion is also legal. Prostitution is also legal. Homosexuality is also legal. Jesus can purify you. And He can bring you into this life of light and openness. Verse 14. He gave Himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. To purify us. Purify. You can be purified by Christ. And you are no longer your own. You don't belong to yourself you don't belong to your friends. You're not the possession of drugs. You don't belong to alcohol. You don't belong to pornography. You don't belong to prescription medication. You don't belong to the gang anymore. You're no longer part of the bikers club where they say, come on, we're going to get drunk. You're no longer part of that sports club where they tempt you to get drunk. You don't belong to that girlfriend or that boyfriend, that sinful relationship that tempts you. Verse 14. To purify for himself a people. You belong to Jesus Christ. If you have trusted him and repented, Jesus has purchased you. He has bought you with his blood. You belong to Jesus. So live for Jesus. Don't live for your addiction. You have... You, if I've got a pencil, Randy Alcorn uses this illustration. If I've got a pencil, I can break it. It's my pencil. 
But if the pencil belongs to Dunette, I don't have the right to break it. You cannot say, my body, my choice. No! Not your body. You've been created by the living God. And if you're a Christian, you've been bought by the blood of Christ. You belong to Jesus, not your body. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Use your body to glorify God. Give your body as a living sacrifice to God. He has purchased you with the blood of His Son. And then you use that body to do good to others because a life of addiction is a selfish life. You just think of yourself. You don't care about anyone else. So you do good, verse 14 at the end. To purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Zealous means all out. Passionate. Good works. You see that in, in the rest of the book of Titus. Chapter 1 verse 7. We read of elders. And it speaks of elders. I think it's not verse 7. Verse 8. Hospitable, a lover of good. And chapter 2 verse 7. Show yourself in all respects a model of good works. Chapter 3, verse 8, good works. Chapter 3, verse 14, good works. Chapter 2, verse 14, good works. Give yourself to good works. As Peter preached to us yesterday at the preaching class, you are not saved by good works, but if you are saved, you will do good works. You are saved for good works. So do good works, do good to other people, and stop the self-focus of addiction. Addiction just thinks of my pleasure, my little world of pleasure. I don't care about anyone else. No, change that, because that addiction is destroying you, and it's dishonoring to God, and it helps no one. Where if you give yourself to good works, it's honoring to God, it's good for other people, it helps them, and it even builds up yourself. Second word, sanctification. Sanctification means being holy. Heiligmarken. Verse 12, we find that. Now, there's a, a theology, and it's a bad theology. And there are Christians who believe this. There's a theology called a second blessing theology. What that means is you get saved, and yes, excuse me. You get saved. But then later in your life, you've got the second experience where the Holy Spirit now comes upon you. You've got the second blessing. And then you can move a level where you are either sinless or almost sinless or you are no longer aware of any sin in your life. So it's perfection theology. That is unbiblical. And a friend of mine told me just this week, this very week, he's in a denomination that believes that. He doesn't preach that. He preaches against that in his own denomination. And he said... When he came to the churches where he's now, where is the pastor, when he got to that church, people were broken. People were depressed because they thought we can never reach that standard. We're trying so hard to reach this perfection and we really want the second blessing where the Spirit comes and lifts us up so we will no longer sin. And they were so depressed. And when he started preaching, no, that's not how the Christian life and Christian growth works. Christian growth, Christian sanctification, be becoming like Christ is a process. You grow more and more like Jesus and lay, lay down sin and then you fall again and you, you get up and you confess your sin and you grow more and you grow more and you grow more. People were liberated. It's like they were set free. No more depression. Because they saw, oh, 
Oh, it's a process. We grow to be more and more like Christ. We lay, lay down the sinful nature more and more, and we take on the new nature more and more through the power of the Spirit. It's He that enables us to do this. Philippians 2 verse 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will as well as to work according to His good, good pleasure. God will give you the power. God will give you the ability. You must yield. You must obey. So it's the grace of God, says verse 11. The grace of God, verse 12 then, trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion. It's the grace of God, this salvation, the Spirit of God, by the power of the risen Christ, that now comes and says, let me help you. I'm going to teach you to obey. I'm going to teach you to live a holy life and to say no to sin and no to ungodliness. That, that when it says training us, that's the same word that is used for parents disciplining and training their children. So the grace of God is going to train you. Yes, sometimes it's going to be painful. Sometimes it's going to discipline you to show, no, back on track, back on track. And the Lord helps you. Sometimes even in sermons like this, you feel guilty. That's God's grace to you. Saying, right, come on, come on. You're not in line. Come back in line. Come back. Yes, it hurts when the sword pierces, but it's the Lord's goodness to you and kindness to you to train you and to teach you. And it teaches you to do what? To say no to ungodliness or to renounce ungodliness. To say, I'm not going to live in this way. I want to fear the Lord. I want to respect God. I want to honor God. I want to say no to wickedness and evil. So it's God's grace that teaches you to lay down addiction. To say no. And by the grace of the Lord that is possible. Because Addiction is an idol. Addiction is making another God. It's making a God of something. And that can be anything. You make an idol and that's stealing your relationship with the Lord. It's hindering your relationship with the Lord. So what are you doing? You're doing what you should do with God. Now you're turning to the addiction as your idol. You're turning to the addiction. Will you give me meaning? Will you give me value? Will you give me pleasure? Will you give me happiness? Will you give me fulfillment? Will you give me acceptance? Will you help me to cope with my pain and my struggles in life? You're turning to the addiction. That's your idol. Can't cope with my sorrows. I'll drown them with alcohol. I want pleasure. I want acceptance. No one accepts me. Injecting the needle will make me happy. Drinking the tablets. The, the, I counseled a lady like that who was addicted to prescription medication. <clears throat> they struggled financially. And so that was a way of coping with it. If I can just drink enough tablets and go to sleep, all the problems will disappear. But guess what? You wake up. You wake up again. And the problems haven't disappeared. So that's not the way. You just think of Jesus. How did Jesus deal with his sufferings? What did he do when they wanted to drug him? He didn't take the mixture of sour wine and myrrh. Because he says, it's going to drug me. I won't have my full senses with me. And he said, no. And can we not do the same? God's grace saves you from idols to serve the true God, to serve the living God. It even changes your desires because verse 12 tells us it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So it's not only, oh, the actual taking of the drug, it's even the desire for the drug. Christ's grace works that deep. His salvation works that deep. It changes, it gives you new desires. 
So do you want desires to be ordered and ordinate desires and right desires? Well, then you should yield to the Spirit because they are the desires of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and the desires of the flesh. And these two are fighting each other. So sometimes you want this and you desire this and the desires of the Spirit. So keep on obeying the Spirit's promptings. When He moves you and He moves you and He nudges you back to the Word, back in line with the Word, back in line with the Word, and the more you obey the desires of the Spirit, the stronger they become and the weaker the desires of the sinful nature will become. The desires of addiction, the desires of the sinful flesh. And then, very important, if you're going to overcome addiction, you must reject everything that awakens those addictions in you. That means even relationships. You're going to have to break off that friendship. Because the guys are tempting you to drugs. They're tempting you to pornography. They're tempting you with sinful movies. They're tempting you with alcohol. They're tempting you with whatever. Psalm 1 verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Those who walk with the wise become wise, but the companion or the friends of fools, you will suffer harm. Proverbs 13 verse 20. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. I've heard, I've heard a number of people say, I'm strong enough. I'll say no. Those friends won't pull me down. I'll pick them up. I'll lead them to the Lord. They're going to pull you down. You mark it down. So break off that friendship. Break off that relationship with that guy. Break off the relationship with that girl. If they're tempting you to sin, why sell your soul for some high or for feeling doped or for that pornography? Why sell your eternal soul? You cut off your hand, you gouge out your eye, even if it means you can't have internet, even if it means you can't have a smartphone, then do it. Even if it means no TV in my house, Get rid of that then. And then get rid of the substances. What is it that is tempting you? Then don't have alcohol in your house. Throw it down the bathtub. Pour it down. Or the games. People, gamers. You've seen these guys, they sit in nappies. Because they don't want to go to the bathroom gaming. Like idiots. And I'm not against playing a game. But I think there are better things to do. But if you're addicted to that. Get rid of your PlayStation. Get rid of your Xbox. You're addicted to this stuff. Stealing your relationship. I can't come to church. I'm gaming tomorrow morning. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for your flesh. Don't even give your sinful nature the opportunity. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires or to fulfill its lusts. Say no. Say no. Don't look at wine when it's red and sparkling in the cup. Say, I'm not addicted to you. I just want to see. Don't see. Throw it away. Get rid of it. And some people don't want to do that. And the reason they don't want to get rid of that internet, TV, Xbox, alcohol in their fridge, the reason they don't want to is because they do not want to change. I don't care how much you say you want to change. If you don't get rid of the stuff and say, I'm going to break this, I'm throwing this away, then you do not. That shows your addiction is your idol. That's your God. And that's why you won't hang up and let up. You don't want to change. You want your pleasure. 
Any, any addict who is really honest with us will have to tell us the addiction doesn't really bring pleasure. It's momentary pleasure, but it's not lasting pleasure. Why not? Because it leads to a life of enslavement. I am no longer the boss. That thing is controlling me. That thing is controlling me. And you've got a guilty conscience, broken relationships, fighting all the time. Proverbs 20 verse 1, uh, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, is a fechter. People who drink too much like to fight. Even people using drugs get into relationships and it's fighting all the time. When are you going to leave the drugs? You know, just one more time, darling. It doesn't work. People start mistrusting you. They can't trust you because you lie all the time to get your addiction. You break up your marriage. You get divorced. You destroy the lives of your children. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Yosha read that to us. All this woe and sorrow. You lose your baby because you're so addicted to the alcohol. You drink while you're pregnant. You lose the child maybe to... Uh, you think it's, what's Val saying over here in Engels? The welfare, they come and take your children because you're on drugs. You can't take care of the kids. You're abusing the children. Maybe your kid gets born and is retarded because of drug use while pregnant or lose your job. Uh, you become poor because you've spent all your money on addictions, maybe even on prescription medication. One guy told me this in straight words. He said, Pastor, let me tell you, if I'm honest, you know why I'm on the street? Alcohol. I get myself tot op die straat gedrink. And he told me that's true of everyone he knows who is living on the street. I wouldn't say that there's no ex there are no exceptions, but just becoming poor, like Proverbs 23 verse 21 says, you'll become poor, you'll end in rags because of addiction. And then addiction, think, does it really bring pleasure? You make a fool of yourself. You do idiotic stuff. You say stupid stuff. You do stupid stuff. You get this girl pregnant because you're on a high. You get a girl pregnant. You're drunk. You don't know what you're doing. Now you've got this child with someone you don't, you don't even know. Because we were drunk. I was drunk. He was drunk. And what stupidity. Uh, like Lot. His daughters made him drunk and got pregnant with their own dad. You flirt with women, you vomit, you stagger, you fall. You make an absolute idiot, a fool of yourself because of drunkenness. And then you get into trouble with the law because you steal stuff, because you want money for drugs, you tell lies, and then you get into a car and you're drunk and you kill someone, you get in an accident, you get paralyzed, or drunk people who like to fight, you stab someone or hit someone with something, you crack, fracture his skull, and now you're in serious trouble. Like in Deuteronomy 21 verse 18 to 21, this drunkard son, and now he's in trouble with the law. Depression, anxiety, nightmares, hallucinations, pain. Proverbs 23 verse 33, you see things you, like a drunk man or like someone on a ship in a storm. The pain and feeling bilious and sick. Your teeth get corroded and eaten away by some kinds of drugs and sores on your face and pancreatitis and cancer and liver problems. Your kidneys pack up, your heart packs up. Man, what a life. And then suicide rates going through the roof with addicts and overdose and this person is now OD'd and he's dead and then you end up in hell because no drunkard will enter the kingdom of God 1 Corinthians 6 verse 10 and Galatians 5 verse 19 drunkards they will not enter the kingdom 
And God even kills some of them. Like in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 21, they get drunk and verse 30, some of them die. God's discipline. That is totally unnecessary. Absolutely unnecessary. Why? Verse 12. The grace of God teaches you to live self-controlled. You can live a self-controlled and self-disciplined life and say no. Verse 2, self-control, older men. Verse, verse 4, younger women, be self-controlled. Verse 6, younger men, be self-controlled. It's possible to be self-controlled. Even elders, verse chapter 1, verse 8, be self-controlled. How do you do that? The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. How do you live a self-controlled life? What kind of self-control in what areas? Well, discipline yourself to memorize Scripture. Hide the Word in your heart so that you will not sin against God. Discipline yourself to say, I'm going to fix this. I'm going back to the people I sinned against. I'm going to return the money I stole or the goods I stole, like Zacchaeus when he was converted. I'm going to confess the sin to the Lord. I'm going to discipline myself, self-control, to be at this church or wherever you attend, a Bible-preaching church, every Sunday morning, every Sunday afternoon, to come under the Word of God. I'm going to discipline myself, time in prayer, to pray without ceasing, to pray with other believers, to sit at the Lord's table, to eat the bread and drink the wine, to remind myself when we have grape juice. For whoever addicts. <laughs> um, so I'm going to discipline myself to be reminded Christ paid the price for my sin. I must not sin. I must turn to Him. And if I have sin, I can repent and there's forgiveness. I will discipline myself to drink the Bible like I drank wine before, like I had wine. Do not be drunk with wine, for in that is debauchery. It's a los bandageleva, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Alcohol will no longer control me. Drugs will no longer control me. Prescription medication, pornography is not going to control me. Lust will not control me. The Spirit of God will control me. I submit. I know a woman like that. She was a heroin addict for, I don't know for how long. Dear Ray, do you remember that lady? The heroin addict. For how long was she an addict? Decade? I don't know, for a long time. She was in and out of prison, once in prison for a year. She said she, at one stage, spent a thousand rand a day on drugs. And she said she would mark it down in prison. When am I coming out? I want my next fix. Which shows you addiction is not a chemical problem. Although it has a chemical effect in your body. But she was without drugs for a year. She still was enslaved to it. It's a spiritual problem. It's a problem of bondage where Satan keeps you in his power. And she would mark it down, when am I coming out? She would come out, she would tell lies, stop at a garage and dress in her nicest clothes and walk up to men because men fall for this. Here's a pretty lady. She would tell them lies and say, I just need 20 bucks. I just need so much money. Please, can you help me? My car's with her. I don't have fuel in my car. She would tell lies to get money. And she would do other horrible jobs to get money. And one day, she was in and out of rehabs, in and out of prison. One day, she got a craving so strong, stronger than any craving she ever had for heroin. And they told her, you're going to die a heroin addict. People don't get off heroin. It's like less than 2%. And she said, that's not true. It's less. But she got this craving to read the Bible. But her mother was praying for her to be saved. And she would read the Bible secretly. She didn't want her mom to see and she read the Bible and she would cry. Read it hours on end. And God brought her under such conviction of sin. And she cried out for salvation. And God saved her. She never returned to drugs. She attended this church, church for a couple of years. She never returned to heroin or other drugs. 
You discipline yourself to read the Bible. You discipline yourself to meet with friends. You write off those bad friends. You discipline yourself to get a job and work. And you work hard because that's another thing with addictions. If you've got nothing to do, the devil's going to find you something to do. Work. Get your mind on something. And honor God. And then be with the believers. Don't stay away. People are in a bad habit of staying away. Don't stay away. You need other Christians to encourage you to love and good works. And if you do not control yourself, then church discipline is something God has given to help you, where the church will help you live a disciplined life, and if you still will not repent, well, you will be, you'll be removed from this church as a member. And I'm not saying that harshly, but that sometimes you have to be cruel to be kind, where God's measures are hard measures to say you must wake up. And don't use the excuse, it's not my fault, once an addict, always an addict. That's nonsense. I heard a man say it from this church, from this platform. We had an evening on a Friday evening, a thing on addictions. The guy gave his testimony and he said, I don't know if you know this, but I'm, a, um, I'm an alcoholic. But he hadn't been drinking for four years. That's what the world teaches you. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Nonsense! 1 Corinthians 6 verse 10 says, Drunkards will not enter the kingdom. Verse 11 says, Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were, sancti oh, you were, washed, you were justified, you were sanctified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is no longer your identity. You are not an alcoholic. You have repented. You've been saved. You're a Christian. You've been born again. You're a child of God. Don't call yourself that name if you've been saved. It is possible, my friends. It is possible not only one day in heaven to be free, free from this addiction. It is possible now in this life, in this time, in this world to be free from that addiction. Verse 12 at the end. It teaches us to live godly lives in the present age. You can do what God expects of you and live an upright life and lay down the addiction like a man I know, also in and out of prison, in and out of rehabs for alcohol, God saved him. And he's a passionate evangelist today. Finally, number three, the second coming. That's in verse 13. Have you heard this saying, don't be so heavenly minded that you are of no earthly use? Have you heard that? Is that true? That is not true. You will be of no earthly use unless you are heavenly minded. So that is the point of verse 13. Waiting. How are you going to overcome these sins? How are you going to overcome addiction? Verse 13. Waiting for the coming hope. Waiting for Christ to come again. The second coming of Jesus Christ. So you think regularly about Christ. You think regularly about heaven. You think regularly about the second coming of our Lord Jesus. And you seek that rather than the world and your addiction. Set your minds on things above, not on things on earth. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Passion. Evil desire. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Put away those things. Verse 12. Live upright. Verse 13. As you wait for that coming of Jesus Christ. And when we see Jesus, we will be like Jesus. We will be perfectly holy. 
And everyone who has this hope in Christ purifies himself as Christ is pure. I'm almost done, guys. I don't have a watch. Don't know how long this has been going. Almost done. I'm on the second last page of my notes, and it's, it's small pages. And you're going to start seeking eternal pleasures rather than temporary pleasures. Maybe you're saying, but the addiction's calling me. It's like the addiction. There's this craving. It's like it's drawing me to itself. How, am I only go, how, how will I overcome this? Remember verse 13. Remember verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You look to the coming of Jesus and say, come Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, my great God and Savior. You think of the judgment day when you will stand before the King. You think of eternal heaven. You think of eternal hell. Will you be happy? Will you be satisfied if Jesus returns with glory and great power and great might and you are found doped, drunk, drugged? You do not want to be found like that when the lion roars, when the Son of God appears. Matthew 24, verse 48 to 51. He will come and find you drunk. You will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand before your judge, before your king, and explain to him why you loved his creation more than the creator? Why did you love a leaf? Why did you love rotten pumpkins, mampur? Why did you love rotten hops? Why did you love rotten grapes more than your savior, more than your God who created you? Don't you want to be like Hefzibah? I asked her permission, can I share this? Hefzibah was a drug addict for more than a decade. She said 12 to 15 years. Looking for pleasure and satisfaction in drugs. And God came and God saved her. She didn't find the happiness in drugs. Jesus saved her. She found all her joy in Him. All her pleasure in Him. Yes, the drugs gave temporary pleasure, but now it's been more, it's been more or less 30 years that God has saved Hephzibah. And everyone sitting here who knows Hephzibah will say, that lady has definitely found her joy in Christ. She's such a bubbly person, and her joy in the Lord, sprankelend, nee, borrelende persoon. And she's found eternal happiness in Jesus. And in Christ, you and I, and whoever's here an addict, you can find the same. Like Jesus said to the woman at the well, come on, stop drinking. Stop drinking of sexual immorality. Stop drinking and thinking alcohol is going to do it for you. Drugs is going to do it for you. It's not. I will give you the living water and you'll be satisfied and your, your thirst will be quenched forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glory and the beauty of your word and of the person of Jesus Christ. And I pray for those hopeless and exhausted addicts running in circles trying to find satisfaction, fulfillment, meaning and happiness. And they don't find it. They need more alcohol and more drugs, more pornography, more immorality. And they just can't be happy. I pray that you would give them real and lasting and eternal joy in yourself.
Amen.